0: There are many
1: mysteries about this object. It is so unlike anything else on the fifth floor and so unlike anything we've shown in the past. We
0: don't really know what to call it. So we're
2: not
1: exactly sure how it was exhibited in that space.
0: We don't really know still what its
3: date is. So, question mark. Hi, I'm Prudence Pfeiffer, and you're listening to the MoMA Magazine podcast. Florine Stedheimer's four-panel screen has never been seen before in the galleries at MoMA, despite the fact that it's been owned by the museum for decades. So it might be surprising to know that it is now the focal point of a gallery after our major expansion. How exactly did that happen? Today we're going to hear from the team who rediscovered this work, their approach, the challenges they faced, and why Stedheimer is such an important figure in the new MoMA. We begin the journey with Jenny Harris, a curatorial assistant in the painting and sculpture department. Jenny was instrumental in organizing the fifth floor collection galleries for the
1: opening. For each of those rooms, I work with a curator or a group of curators to come up with a list of artworks that they'd like to include in their galleries. In the context of the reinstallation of the collection, we have been thinking for many years about ways in which we could tell the story that we typically tell on Five, which covers the 1890s through the early 1940s, in a sort of more open, refreshed, and exciting way. So not just getting more works into the space, but really telling a story that's different and that includes more voices. Senior curator Ann
3: Umland oversaw the installation of the gallery. This whole expansion project has sort of been
0: a real voyage of discovery for us. And we were particularly interested on looking at key works by women artists in the collection that hadn't been seen before. This four-panel screen by Florine Stettheimer was high on our, on our list.
1: Florine Stettheimer happens to be someone we have relatively deep holdings of, you know, we have numerous paintings, we have a series of costume designs and sculptural maquettes she made for an unrealized ballet. Because we knew there was so much material, she was someone we thought about pretty early on. And I think because of that, we became curious about these never displayed screens that we knew to exist. And I think we had a vague idea that they had never been exhibited, that they were in need of conservation treatment. So initially, we just decided to assess their condition. This would require a trip to Queens to MoMA's
3: storage facility called QNS to see the screens in person. So we went out there looking to see this four panel screen for me for the first time.
0: And that's something I've worked at MoMA since 1996, and I'd never seen it before.
1: And I remember when we walked in, they were lying flat on the floor, they weren't connected, they were separated.
0: It was quite evident when we looked at it why it had not been displayed here. The condition was,
1: what's the word I should use to describe it? It was soiled. Much of the gilding had fallen off. It looked like it was cracking in places, like it would continue to crumble if not secured. It just looked like a work that needed some TLC.
3: Despite the work's condition, the team knew they were seeing something special. We thought to
0: ourselves. Here, it was this, like, incredible thing because, really, when you begin to look at these four panels, you see it was a family portrait of sorts of Florine and three of her siblings. Florine Stettheimer to the degree that she's well-known, is, is best known for inventing a new type of symbolic portraiture.
1: I think there was one art historian or critic who described these symbolic portraits as mini biographies and it's true you could spend hours looking at each of these panels because they're loaded with details that are particular to each person who is represented take florine for example she has her paintbrush in her right hand her i believe a palette she's wearing pants easy to work in and her signature high heels maybe less so Her brother, who's depicted next to her, was known for having wire fox terriers, who he loved. And he's shown wearing this sort of sporting outfit and taming dogs. And then her sisters, one of them, who was a writer, is holding a pen or a quill in her hand. Um, The other, who was the head of the family's social affairs, is dressed in a very elegant and ornate ball gown.
0: So it was like, oh, my gosh, look,
1: look. MoMA has like
0: an early example of this type of work that she is justifiably famous for. And so we thought we can't put these on view right now, but wouldn't it be great if we could? It became a
1: process of testing
0: how realistic it would be. There were two avenues of investigation where the screen was involved, one that I would categorize as more art historical, going to archives, looking at photo documentation of um, where it had been installed in the past, where it had been published, where it had been exhibited. And then there was the conservation team's investigation into materials, media, technique, condition, and that those... Two paths of investigation, of course, complemented
2: and informed each other. And so I stepped in to sort of try and contextualize as much as possible to really sort of give us an idea of the history of the object,
3: bring together as many pieces as possible. That's Charmaine Branch, the curatorial fellow who helped uncover the object's past. As part of this task, she visited archives, read Stedheimer's correspondence and journals, Anything that she could do or find to shed some light on this mysterious object. Her months of research revealed the work's many lives.
2: We're still not exactly sure when this work was created. Barbara Blomick is an art historian who estimated around 1909, but it's really unclear what time period in which Florence Zetheimer created the work. Other than being exhibited publicly in 1922, it lived on in Florence Stetheimer's studio, probably up until the time that she passed away.
0: Germaine, to the four-panel screen, she was a convener of salons. She knew everybody who was anybody in New York City in the late teens, early 20s, and the 30s, and brought people from the worlds of literature and dance and theater and the visual arts into her salons she's as interesting for what she made as for the people she knew and brought together within her Beaux-Arts studio apartment
2: in New York City in those, those interwar decades. Eventually, it um, was under the care of her niece who gifted it to MoMA. So it first came into the collection, into the study collection, Sometimes study collection objects are exhibited, but, you know, they're also sort of there to contextualize works within the main collection. It came in with this descriptive title, four-panel screen, but it was unclear if that was the title it had at the time in which Freundstedtheimer had made it. In doing research, we found out that the panel has also gone by the title Petite Salon in a 1922 exhibition that was actually at the Wanamaker Gallery of Modern Decorative Arts, which was actually in a department store. This screen has a number of, you know, mysteries to it. No one was really sort of writing about it in the same way that they might a painting or doing as much research, in part because it has a utilitarian purpose, because it might be considered to be decorative. A certain generation of art
0: historians was taught to think of decoration and ornament and
1: accessories as frivolous things, you know, women's work in that pejorative way. It's fair to say that all of the other Stedheimer works in the collection are much more extensively researched and documented, in part because they were exhibitable and exhibited. Scholarship comes from exposure, people seeing a work, being interested in the work, because this work was... Rarely, if at all exhibited, there's just very little record of people engaging with it.
3: Many mysteries remained. One in particular stood out.
1: For me, the most interesting, compelling, exciting, puzzling aspect of these works has always been the top panels.
2: So what's interesting is the way that these top sections are attached. You notice that this, this frame around each of the portraits, each of the people, it's slightly misaligned um, right where these panels are
1: attached. When we first looked at the screen in in storage, they were connected at the top. We had a few pictures of the work installed in her home and studio, and in those photos, the top panels were not attached. The screen was set up as a three-dimensional object in space next to a fireplace, and there was no sign of these top panels. The first time it was exhibited publicly that we're aware of is this 1922
2: exhibition at the Wanamaker Department Store. And there is a
0: wonderful newspaper sort of response to this exhibition and it is described in there as as wall panels and so that is a possible explanation for us about the two separate sections that maybe originally what is now a screen was mounted on the wall and that there was some type of division between the top elements and the lower elements like a molding so that it could be more of a environment Unfortunately, we still haven't found a photograph of that early exhibition, but we do have these three or four reviews of people who went and saw the show and described seeing Stedheimer's Petit cell, Little cell. So we decided to display it as a screen because that's what we have photographs of with the panels folded like an accordion so that it had a spatial presence. I don't know whether Florine Stetheimer ever thought about it or not, but we certainly noticed when we were looking at it in the conservation lab and thinking about how flat to make it or how, how deep should those pleats be, that when you pleat it a bit and make it dimensional, it's as though the figures are interacting more. I wanted to bring out that aspect of the, of the piece in the installation. I wanted to show it as a, as a screen, not as a painting
3: on a wall. Knowing how to display the screen was one thing. Knowing if it could even be displayed was another. That's where senior conservator Annie Avram comes in.
4: We've been aware of these screens for many, many years because they were occasionally requested for loan. Every time we went to... Q&S where they were stored, we said, oh my God, we can't lend them. They are in really terrible condition. So for 2019, we decided because they wanted to show them or explore the possibility of showing them, it's a good time to really explore more carefully what we can do with them. Some of the biggest challenges to work on the screens was that they had many decades of exposure to dirt, nicotine, and materials that discolored the surfaces. The screens had a history of very different treatments. So they were, the surfaces were not unified, had scratches, had cleaning attempts. On top had these added portions of the screens that were in very bad condition. All the gilding had a lot of flaking, a lot of losses. The The saving grace of this is that all the figures and the faces were very much intact. Typically, we don't actually send things out to be restored. But in this case, we realized we needed like three or four people to devote to this. Given the, the workload to prepare for the reopening, there was no way we could, you know, devote that much time to the screens, knowing that we had to devote our time to a lot of major, major works in the collection that are always on view. We interviewed several people for the job, but then we chose uh, Susanne Ciano's studio because Suzanne had worked with us many years ago and we knew her work and we knew we can go in and out of her studio and be very involved in the process. Uh, We knew from the beginning that they were not going to be exactly even. We knew that. So what we spoke with Suzanne is that even though they were uneven, to see if you can unify them in a way that they were pleasing to the eye when you look at them that she discovered that actually that layer of very, very dark dirt was like an overpaint, like a repainting done by somebody. So that coat of paint was the one that was the darkest, and of course there was dirt underneath. So after testing each panel, we realized that if we removed that layer of paint, that what was underneath was much more coherent and the paint was intact.
1: Yeah, so the order of the panels appeared different according to different sources. In the pictures in which you see it installed in her studio and home, it was very clear what at least two of the panels were. The other major clue, and this is, you know, the importance of doing research based directly on seeing objects in person, is that you could see where the hinges were built. There were two panels that had only one hinge, so those were definitely the outer panels. And then based on the photograph, it was very clear through process of elimination what the third
4: had to be. We only had one original hinge. So here at MoMA, we were able to fabricate them, and then, then the feet were all of rubber. They were rusted, so we were able to get new feet and age them a little bit so they don't look brand new. The big difference, look at them how they were and how they are. They look restored now. Is that they were not exhibitable before because of all the damages and the discoloration. And today, with the cleaning and all the rebuilding and of all the gold, they look beautiful and they are the way I think Florine Stettheimer intended it when she created this work. I think you, you learn that you can't give up on something. As long as it's in the collection, our intent is to make everything, as far as we can, exhibitable. And I think that was the biggest thrill to make them now uh, exhibitable work of art for people to enjoy. And now we have a room that's surrounded by these and a lot of other works by her. So this is now the, the throne, per se, of the gallery.
3: Four-panel screen is now the central focus of its own gallery in the new museum, alongside works by mainly women artists. These works together have a conversation across media and across generations about modernism and its materials.
0: I think it's quite fair to say that for me, this room developed around the screens. This was the inspiration for that room. And all the different kind of questions that this work raises different definitions of what modern could be, different ideas of what an art object could be, what's appropriate subject matter. She was really out to redefine the way a portrait was made. And I loved that I had to think anew about how white and gold, like RocoCoco screen, were a serious project for her and an ambitious piece of art that could be looked at and that could be used. And I hadn't thought in that way about her before. I liked thinking about a line in art history where interior design or decoration or ornament or personal adornment, um, all of those things can be taken seriously, just as valid signifiers as anything else.
1: I think including a gallery devoted to Florine Stettheimer is extremely exciting in terms of the story we tell here at the museum, because it gives you a sort of broader picture of what modern art can look like in the 20th century. Um, You know, modern art is not just austere and monochrome and systematic, it's also decorative, it can be familial, it can be domestic, it can um, be ornate. Um, I think the more we can tell a story that is truthful about, you know, these contradictions and, and vastly different styles, the more it becomes clear to our audiences that there are many different answers to the question, what is modern art? Thanks for listening to the magazine podcast.
3: Be sure to check moma.org slash magazine for future episodes. For information on how you can see the four-panel screen in person, go to moma.org slash visit.